welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the nerd party show where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to be taking a look at two weeks from 1994, May 20th and May 27th. Yes. So let's get started with May 20th. There were only two movies released this week. And there was only one movie which I wanted to see this week. And there was only one movie which I did see this week. And it was not the same movie. So what was the movie you wanted to see this week, Mike? The movie I wanted to see this week was number 11 at the box office, bringing in $1.1 million with a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Even cowgirls get the blues. With a, a stunning 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> what attracted you to this fine feature, Mike? It was directed by Gus Van Sant. Mm. It was the movie that he made right before To Die For, which is amazing. And it starred Uma Thurman. And it looked cool. I did not see even Cowgirls Get the Blues, but I think it's contemporary. It's right around the same time period that she was in Hysterical Blindness, wasn't it? It's right around the same time period, I think. I don't know about that. I mean, I guess when you think about it, it was only a week before Pulp Fiction debuted at Cannes. Yeah, because I think Hysterical Blindness was maybe 93, maybe 92. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's um, pre-Pulp Fiction Uma Thurman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not readily available. They've released it on DVD through like the on-demand service from from Warner Brothers, and it's kind of hard to come by. And yeah, wasn't able to get a copy. So, so what were we left with then, Mike? We were left with the number one movie at the box office, which made twenty three point two million dollars, which seems like a lot for for these days. Uh, it had sixty six percent. On Rotten Tomatoes, and that was Richard Donner's Maverick. Yes, the adaptation of the James Garner television show, Maverick. Yeah. Yeah, starring Mel Gibson in the title role. Yes, and Jodie Foster and James Garner. Yes, and it's our second movie that we've watched with James Coburn. Mm. Yes, it is. (laughs) After Deadfall. Yes. Um, which you know, they just announced this week that uh, Nicolas Cage and Nick Vallelonga, the uh, <laughs> yep. acting and writing team behind Deadfall, is reteaming for uh, a movie, which I forget the name. Uh, well, all that's important is that I think both of us have entered into a promissory pact that yeah. whoever has to fly wherever we are seeing that movie together. We yeah. will be seeing it on opening day. Uh, Just sounds, sell me my ticket now. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to <laughs> yep. me. So, um, yeah, th- this movie, had you seen it before? Yeah, I did. I saw it years ago. Um, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it on home video, you know, when it was later released and everything. Um, 
definitely still part of the same, you know, Western explosion that 94 has thrown at us. Yeah. You know, that it's, that's trucking along. I'm, I'm shocked at how many Westerns there were back then. Um, I, I saw it when it was on video too, probably like a year after it came out. Um, really like, like super duper creative team working on it. You know, Richard yeah. Donner, of course, you know, director of Superman and some, some good movies. And then, uh, written by William Goldman. Yep. Edited by Stuart Baird. Yes. Photographed by Vilmos Zygmunt. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, although the, the copy on iTunes is in standard definition. So, you know, it was kind of. Yeah, that felt a little. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that the uh, copy on um, Amazon wasn't really up to snuff. It wasn't remastered. So, yeah. yeah. It did, didn't look good. But uh, yeah, so what did you what did you think? Well, what did you think about this movie when you saw it back in the day? I really liked it back then. You know, it hit the the right pleasure zones. As you know, Mel Gibson acting like Riggs from uh, Lethal Weapon, but in a Western setting. Some zany humor, uh, winks and nods at the audience type of stuff, uh, breaking the fourth wall on occasion, and you know, I really really liked it back then. Um, did you like it back then or were you more, more ambi- like, I, I know that you were coming into this a bit more ambivalent because you wanted to see the other movie, Yeah. but is this something where there was also ambivalence because you didn't enjoy it back then? No, I mean, I enjoyed it back then, but it was the same time at the same time. It was like, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was okay back then, you know, and I didn't like it enough to watch it ever since (laughs) and uh, like i wasn't exactly excited about watching it this time either you know i i I would not have watched it if it weren't for the fact that i couldn't get even cowgirls get the blues you know yeah so yeah what did you think about it uh now it's good i you know it's a it's a well-made distraction basically you Mm -hmm. know like if if I were scanning around on television, if I theoretically had a free moment and was watching TV and I happened across it and I was just having a lazy Sunday afternoon or something, it's something I could stop on and enjoy. But in all honesty, the movie really feels like a waste of talent because it there's no real substance to it. It's, uh, you know, it's some fun gags. It's in the spirit of a James Garner television show. But it really just feels like super well-produced comedy television. And it really is just Mel Gibson doing a riff on his Lethal Weapon character, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, it's crazy Mel, you know, having a good time and having there are some real I thought there were some really funny uh, bits to it, some real, you know, sly bits of humor. But outside of that, it just, you know, it's it's good. It's, you know, it's fine, as you like to say. So yeah. uh, where did you end up? Um, I thought it was okay, too. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of like chugging along and sort of like never really drifted too far into the boring category. And then, you know, once it got to like the poker game, that's when I started to really get interested in it, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and I guess that's good that it ended strong. 
um, because, you know, at, at, at the beginning, you know, there wasn't really anything there that really struck me. Uh, not that it was bad. It's, there's just nothing really there. So, yep. um, so yeah. So in the end, I would say that it was good, but not great. Now, I can wait another 25 years before I see it again. Yeah, and that, that's what I'm saying. It feels like a, I, I know it's very harsh to say waste of talent, but like you get the talent we talked about behind the movie and you expect something that's going to be, okay, this is going to be like the Western comedy to define them all yeah. for for the rest of time. And instead it's just, yeah, oh, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. you know. Which I guess is probably all that Donner was going for, was entertain everybody and you know make them happy that they spent five bucks and, and caught a flick. Yeah. Um, but it would have been nice to see, I don't know, something a little more to it. Yeah, it it is crazy how many westerns were were happening at this point in time. It's strange. I guess no, City I, Slickers <laughs> took off and whatever. We're going to see another City Slickers in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but but uh, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's just a, it's, a western winning an Oscar is going to kick off, you know, that whole splurge. Yeah, it's weird. No, no, whatever. All right. Well, should we move on to the week of May 27th? I look forward to moving on to the week of May 27th because I think that's shrouded in a little more mystery for the two of us. Okay. Well, this was Memorial Day weekend, so they were playing around a little bit with the release dates here. Uh, The first movie of the week came out on May 23rd, and that movie is Desperate Remedies, which had a 40% on, on Rotten Tomatoes, I couldn't find any box office info about it. Uh, the trailer for this seemed interesting. Did you watch the trailer? I did. I watched the trailers. Meh. Yeah, it I mean, it, it, me. it looked like it, it could be cool. You know, I, I wouldn't have been opposed to watching this movie, but I had my sights set on bigger and better things. Yeah, I, I, I just had my sights set on different things, an actual movie that I've wanted to watch for the last 25 years. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's take a look at what was released on May twenty fifth. Oh boy, what a day for movies. Hmm. Um. Orthodox in, Star Wars Day, as you like to say. Yes. Yes. In nineteen ninety four, there were two movies released on May twenty fifth, coming in at number nine at the box office with one point two million dollars, starring the current box office king Keanu Reeves was Little Buddha, mm-hmm. directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. Yeah. Did you watch this? No. <laughs> me either. Uh, the trailer didn't exactly intrigue me, and, you know, Bernardo Bertolucci these days doesn't exactly intrigue me. So, uh, yeah, that was I re- I remember the joke that um, was made in Entertainment Weekly, because I used to read that back then, because I did. And it, uh, they made fun of it in terms of the, um, the, uh, it, Gilligan's Island, where they just had a quote saying, Hey, little Buddha, what are you doing? And that's all I, you know, that's all I needed. I was, I was done. Yeah. But hey, 68%, that seems like that's the big movie of the week. Yeah, it does, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Okay. So number three at the box office also released on May 25th. Uh, with 
making $18.4 million and uh, gaining 10% positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes was John Landis's Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yes. So have you seen this? Did you watch this? Yep. 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 Yeah? What'd you think? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. This is... I, I mean, this is... The Beverly Hills Cop franchise is the law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop, you know, kicks the door open and really makes Eddie Murphy a huge marquee star uh, and kicks off his career. Beverly Hills Cop 2, I didn't really care for. And then Beverly Hills Cop 3 just sputters. And there's a reason we haven't had Beverly Hills Cop 4. I had never seen a Beverly Hills Cop movie. Really? No. Never. Never. And it was one of those things where I was always intrigued by it for a couple of reasons. One, because, well, the first two at least were produced by Simpson and Bruckheimer. And Mm -hmm. I'm always up for that. But then also just like the talent in the director's chair was so weird to me because it was like three distinct filmmakers and three filmmakers who whose work I, I've I've enjoyed and I, I just always thought it was strange like the people who they got to make these and the order that they made them in and everything like if you would have told me like who the three filmmakers were and told me like the order that they made them in I would have been like uh three two one and not one two three but yeah so I watched all three in the span of about 30 hours. Um, That's a lot of Beverly Hills copping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the, you know, the first one directed by Martin Brest, who hasn't made a movie since Gigli, which, you know, yeah. I know Gigli has a reputation for being, like, the worst movie ever made. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's bad, but it's not career-ending, you know? Oh, I know. And, you know, he made, like, Meet Joe Black. Meet Joe Black was a good movie. Didn't see it. Oh, man, it's great. It it, I, it always intrigued me, but never really got to me. I, 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 I was surprised how many people haven't seen it. But this recently became, like, a thing because what I, what I thought was a thing that everyone knew about, the Brad Pitt death scene just mm-hmm. made its way to social media. And now, like, a new generation of people are experiencing Brad Pitt's death and Meet Joe Black for the first time <laughs> and saying, like, what movie is that from? I've got to see that movie. And I always thought that that was, like, a thing that everybody knew about. Have you yeah. seen Brad Pitt die in, in, in Meet Joe Black? No, because I haven't seen Meet Joe Black. <laughs> well, I'll send you the clip because... I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it is definitely the best part of the movie, um, but yeah. Well, that's kind of harsh, Mike. You're wishing, I mean... Well, it's the beginning. To go I up mean, to an actor and say that the best part of the movie is you dying, that's, well, that's kind of rough. He is playing, like, death in the... Mo- okay. So, um, so anyway, <laughs> it's um, Beverly Hills Cop. I mean, I thought it was fine, right? You know, whatever. But then, you know, like, I was especially intrigued by the second one because Tony Scott directed it. Yep. And it really is like, 
what if Tony Scott made a Beverly Hills Cop movie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the photography is gorgeous, the action, they really step it up and everything. But, you know, I mean, and I thought it was like, eh, maybe not quite as good as the first one, but, you know. And then John Landis directs the third one. Like, yep. And I mean, I would say this is the, the, the point. I mean, like, I wasn't like Beverly Hills Cop is amazing. And then, you know, I was like, Beverly Hills Cop is good. Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's still good. And this one, I was mm. like, nah, nah, it's, I guess it's not really good. No, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is everything that I kind of had been warned about. Um, was this the first time you had seen it? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I, I just I, assumed I stopped that- it too. Okay. I stopped it too. And the thing is, just to give some some sense here, is I haven't watched the first Beverly Hills Cop in a long time. Um, I have really, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I prefer to leave it back in the very positive reaction that all of us had. I did Obviously, I was too young to see it in the movie theater, but I had some really cool cousins that would rent stuff and let me watch. And my brother worked in a video store, so I saw all sorts of things I wasn't supposed to see. Um but part of the power of uh, Beverly Hills Cop and part of the reason that it went so crazy big uh, is because of the fact that it was raunchy. It was, you know, it was a, a, a comedy that for the time was really, you know, a, a body comedy, a body sort of comedy. And, disre- and you know, Eddie Murphy got to be disrespectful and, you know, the banana in the tailpipe and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, that, that you say really, banana. You know, like, are you kidding? That was like a go-to a, joke for a long time. We're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I've heard of that. You know, I've heard like people that sort of like making fun of that, I guess, more than anything. But like, I mean, looking at it, like I didn't consider it to be super raunchy. I think of it as like, I mean, he swears a lot. You know, there's a yep. lot of F-bombs in this movie. But aside yep. from that, there's not really anything. Yeah, but that's still I, I mean the thing is you gotta you gotta keep in mind that like that Eddie Murphy's just his raw talent, and he was really at the top of he was at the apex of his fame mm-hmm. at that point. And he was he, only he like twenty two years old when he made that movie. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Murphy was Eddie Murphy came out of Saturday Night Live and you know it was a little bit of a stumble out of the gate, but then once Beverly Hills cop hit and then he had his concert tour movies and all of that stuff, like, you know, you went to just go see him do his thing. Mm -hmm. This became an Eddie Murphy vehicle. If I remember the production history correctly, this was originally conceived as an action movie for Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And and then that fell through. And so they went with Eddie Murphy and said, no, let's do comedy. And, you know, and, and instead we got the unintentionally funny Cobra from Sylvester Stallone around yeah. the same time. Yeah, apparently I, I read on the internet that like Stallone even did a pass on the script at one point. I, I mean, we're talking about the first Beverly Hills Cop, but yeah. like everybody loves Surge. Um, yeah, you know Bronson Pinchot's big break. Uh, who you know, you talk about Tony Scott directing the second one. He shows up in True Romance. Yeah, but he's uh, not so in the second one though, which is I know weird. I know he's not, which is like a whole <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, almost like a Tony Scott being like, ah, "I really wanted you in the second one, so let's do True Romance instead." And that's a better movie, so. You know oh, who is yeah. in the second one? Uh Brigitte Nielsen? Yeah, she's in it, yeah. but so is Chris Rock. In oh, mo- I, 
in one really? scene he's like a valet and like they put he's the valet at the playboy mansion and like ah. there's like some sort of chase and they pull up like eddie murphy pulls up in a cement truck and chris <laughs> rocks like i get five dollars for a car and ten dollars for a limo what am i going to get for this and eddie murphy's like here's 50 bucks park it next to the limos or something like that and that was it you know and it's like i mean he was funny in his like two lines of dialogue but he was like like a 22 year old kid you know it was yeah. it was pretty interesting to see that you know but yeah anyway. i would forgotten that part of it i i don't i can honestly tell you that um yeah beverly hills cop 2 i have no desire to go back and watch again and It's just cop three. That seems so weird to me. Like, I mean, I was trying, like I was reading about it, trying to like figure out like, how did this go down? Right. Because like Tony Scott, he had just made top gun and then he makes Beverly Hills cop two. Like that seems like a huge step down. Like you make top gun, then you make something like way, way above. But they were saying like, they he got the job to direct Beverly Hills Cop two because the studio was happy with Top Gun, and it's like, what? Of course, after he makes Top Gun, if he wants to do Beverly Hills Cop two, you let him. Like, what does that mean? You know, it just seems so weird. I I don't know. Maybe he wanted to bring his own spin on it or something. You know, who knows. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Like, in a lot of ways, I think number two is the most interesting of them, but number three, I don't know what was going on. And then I went down the rabbit hole of Eddie Murphy and John Landis, and that went to some very interesting places because apparently, even though they kept on working together, they did not like each other at all. So Really? Yeah. Like, I, I was huh. reading, like, Landis was talking about how... Like, with Beverly Hills Cop 3, Eddie Murphy apparently wanted to basically, like, shed the humor and become an action star. And Uh, Landis was saying that he was, like, playing against the humor in a lot of scenes. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's not as funny. And Mm, Landis was trying to make a comedy, but Murphy was trying to not really do that why would you bring on the guy who did blues brothers to make a serious movie about beverly hills cop well i don't i think that like i i think that murphy was just like not not they wanted to do like a serious movie but he just wanted it he wanted to be taken more seriously but then it sounds like he you know like has like they were talking about like coming to america which i guess was made before this right Yes, I'm pretty sure it was. Because they, they must have done Trading Places first, right? Oh, yeah. No, Trading Places is uh, 83. Yeah, and then Coming to America. So, like, they like I read some interview with Eddie Murphy where he was talking about, like, working with John Landis on Coming to America and how, like, John Landis was all mad at him because Eddie Murphy didn't come to his defense when the whole thing with the Twilight Zone happened. So, like, he didn't like him, but, you know, he liked Landis, so he hired Landis against the studio's wishes, but then when Landis got there, he was a total jerk and everything like that, and they're, like, talking about all this stuff that's happening on Coming to America, and then after all that, they were like, let's work together again. 
Uh, yeah, coming to America was eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. So they uh, and, so they hated yeah. each other six years before they made this movie, and yeah. then they didn't like working with each other on this movie. So it does seem like a very uh, although it could be one of those things where. You know, it's I don't like you, you don't like me, but we've had box office success before. Therefore, you know, we'll put that, we'll we'll shelve it while we're on set and just do the best that we can. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if your star and your director don't get along, I, you know, it, not always. I mean, sometimes that does produce, you know, great art. How many movies are there where you hear about how the star and the director just hated each other? Yeah. But it brought out what they needed but the thing is i think in most of those cases you're dealing with a drama not a comedy to come at like murphy's a fool to think that people are coming in and plunking down change to see beverly hills cop three for anything besides a fun diversion like they're not coming to beverly hills cop three for an arnold schwarzenegger movie they want to see eddie murphy yuck it up and make them laugh again and that's that's a that is a key miscalculation by Mr. Murphy, I would say. Yeah. Well, he's basically disowned the movie. Apparently, back when it came out, he's like, oh, this is better than two. You know, this is return to form or whatever. Yeah. But then, like, years later, he was, like, on inside the actor's studio or something like that. And they were, like, listing off all his things. They got to Beverly Hills Cop 3, and everyone started applauding. And he's like, no, don't applaud that. That movie's garbage. So. Well, I can say that um one of the things that that gets to like a, an argument an ongoing disagreement that i i have with craig which is like you know he t- always talks about yeah but on the tour they said you know on the press tour they said that it, w- it was a pleasure working together and they and i'm like of course they're gonna say that on the press tour mm-hmm. they want you to go see the movie they're not gonna come out and say oh we kind of hated working with each other and i wanted this and he wanted that but you know it's worth your five bucks Go for it. Yeah, I mean, as a Paul Verhoeven, right? Very famously, when he was promoting Showgirls, was like, "This is a masterpiece." You know, in 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 yeah. future generations, this will be seen as a masterpiece, right? Mm-hmm. It's a misunderstood masterpiece. And then mm-hmm. ten years later, or whatever, they're talking to him about it, and he's like, "No, that movie's crap." And they're like, "But you said it was a masterpiece," and he's like. I was promoting the movie, blah, 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 but now enough time has passed that nobody's, you know, got any, you know, uh, stake in it anymore, so I can say that the movie is garbage. I can say that that, if you're going to bring Showgirls into it, is a movie where I still don't think I've seen it in its entirety. Mm -hmm. I was only able to endure like 10 minutes at a time because I was living with somebody that had cable. So I was like, oh, Showgirls, it's like 10 minutes. I was like... I'm tapping out for right now. I so. I bought the DVD when it was in a $5 bin uh, yeah. like 20 years ago, and I still haven't watched it. But one day. you're No, you're not. You are really not missing anything. One day the fact The fact that Gina Gershon came out of that movie with her career intact is a testament to Gina Gershon. Yeah. Okay, like that movie didn't just... That movie didn't just end careers. It like... It spiked them. Yeah. It, it flattened them. And I mean, I feel, you know, the thing is people talk about, you know, oh, you shouldn't talk, you know, that people are expressing great regret as they should for the way they treated Ahmed best through the years. You know, we're 20 years after Phantom Menace and everything. Elizabeth um, from Saved by the Bell. Elizabeth um, Berkeley. 
Berkeley, yeah, from uh, you know she she was the star of Showgirls. You want to talk about vicious? The reviews of Showgirls mm-hmm. were like I hats off to her that she not only overcame that but persevered and later you know continued her career. Yeah, like you know that's that's some real spiritual strength right there because you, I mean look up some of those extant reviews from back in the day. They were horridly mean to to her. Yeah. Yeah. One day I'll see it. I, I will. I will. Mm. I'm waiting waiting to see it on the big screen, you know, hoping that'll happen <laughs> at some point. Uh, you never know. They're showing Total Recall in 70 millimeter here in Chicago next month. So, you know. Oh, my gosh. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, man. That movie. That's one that I go back and forth with people about, too, because I remember seeing that in the theater way back when. And I was much younger and I came out of it on fire. That was so cool. I loved that movie so much. And then I revisited it many years later. I want to say it was about 10 years ago. I revisited it and I was just aghast at how much I disliked it. I was like, this movie is just terrible. Yeah. It's not good at all. I've only seen it once and I didn't like it, but who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll, you know, sucker me into seeing it again. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. A 70 millimeter print. And I can't get Phantom Menace on the 20th anniversary. What yeah. the hell, man? Come yeah. on. It's the way it works. It's the way it always works. And, and you know, Ugh. I'm just like, oh, 70 millimeter. Like, they're like, oh, jo- Joel Schumacher is going to come out and we're going to do a double feature of Falling Down in 35 millimeter, which I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll be there for that. And then Flatliners in 70 millimeter. And for some reason, I'm like, oh, I need to go see Flatliners in 70 millimeter. How could I miss that? And I'm like, <laughs> I've seen that movie once and I hated it, you know, but you're like a 70 millimeter. Well, in that case, I'm going to have to make a special trip for that one. But Schumacher has always been able to get such interesting performances out of Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, like that's it's, it's worth fine. it just for that. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've seen the movie, right? Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway. I know. But but Sutherland is always fun to watch in a Schumacher movie. Yeah. It's just, they work well together. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we might get to see uh, Kiefer Sutherland next week in uh, one of these here movies. Oh, but before we get to that, we forgot number one at the box oh, office. Yeah. With yep. $44.2 million yep. released on May 27th, The Flintstones. Yep. Have you seen this? Nope. I've seen a scene. I I don't want to see it. No. I really don't want to see it because I love John Goodman. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason I love John Goodman is I have no memory, no real memory of this. It, it's widely regarded as just a travesty. Have you ever seen it? No. No, I did, even though I haven't seen this either, I did project, pr- project uh, the Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas. Ugh. But uh, I never saw that one either. Uh, Um, How did you not see it if you were projecting it? Well, you when when you've got like seven movies which you're playing all at the same time, you know, you thread them, and then they start up, and you watch the trailers. You make sure that those are okay. That's where it makes it really easy to focus and frame things because there's lots of words up on the screen and everything. And then uh, 
the, the movie starts, the lights go down, and the movie starts playing, and, and if everything's good, if the sound goes up to the proper level and the lights go down to the proper level, then you're good. Then yeah. you're more than anything just watching the actual film to make sure that it's not, you know, flying off the platter or anything. Okay. So I was hoping you were going to say it was like some like Jedi projectionist challenge that you had where you had to be like blindfolded. No. And, Although uh, I I thing. could and I have on numerous occasions like threaded a projector with my eyes closed. You can do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you That's definitely awesome, want to open your eyes and check to make sure that you didn't, you know, but you can <laughs> yeah. do it. It's, it's pretty easy. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. Easy for you. Yeah. Well, it's just yeah. what, a, what a shame that you didn't get to thread Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Um, but, you know, who knows? Never say never. Yeah. Right? All right. So should we take a look at the movies which are coming out next week? On yes, June, we should. June 3rd? Well, on June 1st is A Gift from Heaven. And then on June 3rd, we've got five movies. Grief, Fear of a Black Hat, The Endless Summer 2, The Cowboy Way, another one of these westerns, with Kiefer mm-hmm. Sutherland. Yeah. And Renaissance Man. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I'll be very interested to see what you pick. I think I think this could be one of those weeks where I'm going to wind up with two. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of I don't know. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm going to try for two, but and I know that the one that I'm going to definitely watch is going to be the 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 lesser of the two, but I feel like obligated to watch it because of the people involved. So it's going to be one of those things where you yeah. make bad choices, but. Yeah. <laughs> Bad choices is what retro perspective is all about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so if people want to talk to you about their bad choices, Mike, where can they find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on FilmDamagePod.com doing a show called Film Damage. And uh, yeah, that's about it for right now. What about right. you, John? Oh, uh, my... Online nom de plume is Kessel Junkie, uh, primarily active on my blog, KesselJunkie.com, and which I keep threatening to start writing less, but for some reason I'm still writing every day. Hmm. Um, and you can find me over on uh, Letterboxd and Goodreads, and you can find me right here on the network, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing. And though we took... Um, the week of uh, uh, of Memorial Day off. Uh, be sure to check our catalog because we did a full commentary for The Phantom Menace in honor of its 20th anniversary. Mm. The original yeah. theatrical cut? No, the Blu-ray cut. Oh. Also known as the 3D cut, but we didn't watch it in 3D because, you know, nobody does that. Well, it's not the same as the 3D cut because it doesn't have the 3D logo, Lucasfilm logo in the front of it. Yeah, but it's still the same as the 3D cut because it has digital Yoda and all of the tiny little uh, editing tweaks that uh, Lucas is famous for in re-releases. And also a lot of other small um, effects improvements that he does to certain background effects and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But it doesn't have that 3D logo. Nor will it ever. Nor will it ever. Because I don't have... I, I don't. 
They never released that on home release. No, they didn't. Yeah, but, so how the hell am I going to have it? But if you do get like the, the like if you go to see it like in two D theatrically, yeah. it yeah. has the 3D logo. Which just brings up again the painful fact that they didn't re-release it for the 20th anniversary. <laughs> You'll get to see it for the 20th anniversary in December when they release all nine movies in a row in a marathon. Oh, geez, not a marathon. It's going to be like a, a nine-day. No, make it like a film festival. One movie a night. Get me there. Seriously, how much How much more are they going to make in concessions if they get me there every night? I'm going to buy concessions nine nights in a row. If it were me, this is what I would do. Uh, December 7th, Saturday, December 7th, episodes yeah. 1, 2, and 3. Then okay. Saturday, December 14th, mm-hmm. episodes 4, 5, and 6. And then Thursday, December 19th. Episodes seven, eight, and nine. That's what I would do. I'm down with that. But I that's not what they're gonna do. No, it's not what they're gonna do. No. No. They're gonna have a And 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 then I would throw yeah. in the uh, other three movies, like, you know, wherever they should be in there. Story order. Yeah. You must show them in story order. Yeah. But it's not gonna happen. If I had an Alamo draft house down here, I'd start campaigning them to play the uh I mean I will soon, but if they were down here, I'd start campaigning for the Ewok adventures. Yeah, that's not going to happen either. I guarantee you that. <laughs> well, maybe somebody could rent a theater and bring their own copy that they may or may not have. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. I'm not going to. Mm. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yep. I guess that's it for this week. Uh, that'll be it for this week, yeah. Okay. Well, until next week. Be kind, rewind.